Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Psalm 63. The Bible says, O God, thou art my God. What a way to start off a, start off a prayer right there. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. and My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, and they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God, every one that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity uh, that we have to be in church and to, to gather around your word and open it and preach it and listen to it. God, I pray that you'd make it alive to us tonight. I pray that you fill me with your spirit and, and speak through me. And God, help us to, to leave here changed more like you and knowing more about you. And that's all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Declarations. There's been some pretty cool declarations uh, throughout history. Uh, when you hear the word declaration, what, what comes to your mind? Uh, when I hear the word declaration, what comes to my mind is the Declaration of Independence, when we, as the United States, declared our independence from the empire of Great Britain. But that's not exactly what I'm going after tonight when I say declaration. I'm going for kind of some more concise declarations, not a, a long document that declares our independence from Great Britain, things like when President Ronald Reagan made while he was in West Brit or Berlin when he says, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity, if you seek liberalization, he says, come here to this gate. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A famous statement by Ronald Reagan towards the end of the Cold War to tear down the wall that had been separating East and West Berlin for over 20 years. Another famous declaration by, was by Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. during the March on Washington when he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. A famous statement. A famous statement by John F. Kennedy during his inauguration in 1961 when he says, And my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. A famous declaration by Neil Armstrong on the moon landing when he says, that's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Probably one of my favorites, I'm, I'm a, a World War II uh, history buff. I really love history. And Sir Winston Churchill speaking of war with the Nazi empire. And he says, I have myself full confidence that if all do their duty, if nothing is neglected, and if the best arrangements are made as they are being made, we shall prove ourselves once again able to defend our island home. 
to ride out the storm of war and outlive the menace of tyranny, if necessary for years, if necessary alone. He goes on to say later in that speech, we shall go on to the end, we shall fight in France, we shall fight on the seas and oceans, we shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Iconic declarations. There's some pretty famous declarations in the Bible as well. For sake of time, I just want to share two of those with you. The first is a statement that's made by Doubting Thomas. After he doubted when the other disciples came to him and said that, that we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I touch his hands, unless I see his wounds, I will not believe. In John chapter 20, verses 27-28 says, Then he, Jesus speaking, to Thomas, he says, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. But believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. What a declaration. And the second one is found in the introduction to our text tonight. When David proclaims at the beginning, he says, O oh God, thou art my God. What an introduction. What a powerful statement. What a good way to start our prayer. I think it would be a great way for us to start our prayers where we, when we get on our knees before God and we say, Oh God, Thou art my God. You're mine. You belong to me and I belong to You. Many of us, we have a, a routine in our prayers. We have this systematic approach to our prayers that when we go to the Lord in prayer, we kind of always start off the same way. The Bible would, would call that a vain repetition. But we get in our prayers with, dear Lord, dear Lord, thank you for this day. And it's, it's always that we say it without even, even meaning it. We, we get kind of this systematic routine where it's just kind of like we become robots in our prayer lives. And it may be good to switch it up from time to time. And maybe a good way to switch it up would be right now with saying, oh God, thou art my God. But Psalm 63 truly is an awesome psalm. It, I would call it a life psalm. Many people have what they call a life verse. Verses that mean something special to them. Verses that are near and dear uh, to them. I would say most of us in here tonight would probably have a life verse. I have one of those. Uh, my life verse is Psalm 84, 11. Uh, the Bible says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's my life verse. I go to that verse often. I cling to that verse. But I think Psalm 63 should be what we call a, a life psalm. The heading of our psalm, it kind of gives us a little bit of a background into what's taking place when David uh, wrote this passage. And the heading reads, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Most likely this is taking place during Absalom's rebellion, a very dark time in David's life. You won't find David complaining, though, in this psalm. It's actually a very encouraging psalm. He's not looking back on his life trying to figure out what he could have did differently in the life of Absalom. He's not trying to figure out where he went wrong as a father. Many times uh, when our children go the wrong way, we, we, we try and find where we went wrong. Every, every, 
Everybody has their own free will. They make their decisions. But we try and look back and, well, did I do this wrong? Was I too hard on them? Was I, was I not hard on them enough? But instead of looking back on what he could have did differently, you find David looking up to God. In a time where David could have easily been discouraged, we find him excited about God and excited about his relationship with God. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that before where you just kind of seem easily discourageable? I've, I've been there a few times. Some may say, I'm there every day. I'm discouraged every day of my life. Something bad's going to go wrong, so I'm just going to be discouraged anyways. But my hope for you tonight is that you'll leave here excited, encouraged, and recharged regarding your walk with God. So as you read this psalm, it has a natural progression to it. It has a gradual building. It starts in verse 1, and obviously it builds all the way uh, to the end. But as David seeks the Lord, you'll notice he, he kind of changes his expressions a little bit. And uh, the first thing I want you to notice about him is you see David's desire for God. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He says, my soul thirsteth. My flesh longeth to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And here David is proclaiming, I am longing to have fellowship with God. David, he has just left Jerusalem and he's on uh, the run for his life. Surprise, surprise. David running for his life. It seems like that's the entire book of Psalms at times. And his journey took him through some of the, the wildest, most barren and discouraging sceneries in all the world. And as he goes through this desert landscape and he's around these mountains and these caves, he's deeply troubled by what his son Absalom has done. And he's discouraged about the manipulation of Ahithophel. And it broke his heart that so many people had betrayed him and turned his back on him and forced him out of his very own home. But, but being driven away from the sanctuary seems to be what's bothering David the most. And he says, I want to see thy power and thy glory as, I, as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. So the desolate scenery around him only serve as an accent to his thirst. He describes it as a dry and thirsty land. It wasn't a pleasant place. It wasn't somewhere he wanted to be. But by him being able to say, my God, turn this wilderness experience into a worship experience. There he was in the desert, hungry and thirsty, but his deepest desires were not physical. They were spiritual. With his whole body and his whole soul, he longed for God's satisfying presence. And just as our bodies need food and water to survive, our spiritual bodies can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So I have the question for you tonight. Do you hunger for God? Do you hunger and thirst after His Word? Do you hunger and thirst after His righteousness? Do you have a longing to know God on a deeper level? Think about what David is saying here. He says, early will I seek thee. David's saying the very first thing in the morning, 
In the early hours of the day, I'm seeking after you. I'm striving to know you. Pastor tells us all the time we should give God the first five minutes of our day, the first day of our week, and the first 10% of our pay. And David's here saying, God, I'm giving you the first. You're the first thing I think of when I wake up. And I want to know you more. I wake up and I just want to get into your presence. Many people use this verse to back up why they spend their mornings with God because the Bible teaches it. But what David here is trying to express is he's saying, God, I want to know you. I want, I want to learn of you. My soul, it thirsts after you. My flesh, it longs for you. Like I'm in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And when I read this verse, personally, I think of, of teen camp at Ironwood. All right? It's the best week of the year, and it's the worst week of the year. All right? Why? Because it's hot. All right? Two years ago, it was 118 degrees. That's miserable. All right? I've heard stories from Brother Jeff how he, uh, he's been in like 150 degrees before. No, you can have that. 118 is bad enough. All right? So you're in the desert. It's hot. It's sandy. It's rocky. It's desert. And it's hot. All right? It feels like someone's got a hair, uh, hair dryer and they're just blowing it continually in my face. And as you're in the desert, the sun is just sucking the life right out of you and I'm miserable just imagine it. But David says, in that exact scenario... In a desert where there's no water, where it's hot, where it's rocky, where it's sandy. And he says, my soul thirsts after you. Just like my physical body thirsts for water in this desert, God, I need you. Only you can quench my thirst. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. Just like I used to see you in the sanctuary. And David missed being in a place where the people went to worship God, and he missed being around the Ark of the Covenant, which signified God's presence, and he missed being around the people of God. But he could worship God all alone in the desert, and he was okay with that. Because God was enough for him. And that led him to the point where he was praising God. So you see in verses 1 and 2, David's desire for God, his desire to know Him more, his desire to have fellowship, uh, that desire to have sweet fellowship with God. And then it leads him to his praising God. Verse 3, it says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. David here, he's thinking about uh, God's grace in his life. He's thinking of his loving kindness. And our God is so amazing that he doesn't just give us kindness, he gives us loving kindness. He doesn't just give us mercy, he gives us tender mercies. Our God, he's so good to us. And since God has been so good to us, is his praise on your lips? Are you praising him to those around you? Do you bless the Lord with your life? The Bible talks a lot about praise. It actually talks about it over 250 times. I would say praise is an important part of the Christian life. Psalm 106.1 says, Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy endureth forever. Psalm 111, verse 1, it says, Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Psalm 113, verse 3. From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. That's eternal praise. Psalm 147, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto the Lord, for it is pleasant 
and praise is comely. The word comely means it's, it's proper, proper it's, it's suitable, it, it's, it's decent. It's the, it's the right thing to do. Praise the Lord because He deserves it. Psalm 150, verse 6, the entire verse, each verses of Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6, each of them start with praise the Lord. And verse 6 concludes with says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. David's saying here in our text in verses 3 and 4, he's saying, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to praise you. Is that your life goal? Is that your testimony? As long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as my heart's beating, God, I'm going to praise you. If we were to take the time tonight to examine each of our walks with God, what would it look like? If we were to sit down and ask ourselves the tough, tough questions, what would we learn about ourselves? Would you find that your relationship with God is consistent? Would you find that it's probably a little more asking for things and, than praising God? There's an acronym for the word pray, and it's, it's, it's kind of recommended on how you should structure your prayers, and it's, it's pray, P-R-A-Y. Praise, repent, ask, yield. I, I think that's a pretty good structure for our prayer life. When we go to God in prayer, we should start off by praising Him for who He is. Thanking Him for what He's done in our lives. Thanking for His goodness. Thanking for His mercy. Thanking Him for His loving kindness. Thanking Him for another day of life and praising Him simply because He's worthy to be praised and His name is above every other name. So you start off with praise, but then after you've praised Him, you repent. You, you make right your sins. You confess your sins to God and you forsake them and you turn away from them. But then the third part, ask. Praise, all right, praising Him, repenting of your sins, and then asking for requests. And then simply, why is yield? Yielding to His will. There'll be sometimes when we pray for things that they are not God's will for our lives. But out of all of those things, praise comes first simply because God deserves it. So here you have David. He's desiring God. He's longing after God. But then you see him praising God even in the midst of a tough situation. At least to verse 5 where you see that David has come to a point in his life where he is satisfied with God. Verse 5, it says, My soul shall be satisfied with, as with marrow and fatness. All right, marrow and fatness would have been delicacies at this time. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied with you like you're a, a delicacy. My mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips, lips. I don't think I have to tell you tonight that we live in a very ungrateful society. Uh, we live in a world that is all about how much you can get, how much you can gain, and it doesn't matter what the cost. We learned that uh, from Thanksgiving and Black Friday. All right, we spend all day being thankful for what God's given us with, but then we're trampling grandmas to get a $10 toaster. So, so we, we learned that we're a pretty ungrateful society. We've taken so many things in our lives for granted that we've become dull to the blessings that God gives us. And we are often unsatisfied. We're unsatisfied with our jobs. We're unsatisfied with ourselves. We're unsatisfied with our home, our car, our family life, our spouse. And we often buy into the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. 
How many people in here have ever bought something that you were just dying to have? Like you saw an advertisement, and you're like, I just got to have that. It's going to change my life. But as soon as you got it, it wasn't all that it was made out to be. That's how I am with Apple products. Now, it doesn't stop me from buying them, but that's how I am with Apple products. You know, I got, I got the MacBook, I got the iPhone, I got the Apple Watch, I got the iPad, I got the pencil, I've got it all. All right, I, I love my Apple products. But they release the same item every single year with like one little change. But it's like, I got to have the new iPhone X because it's just that awesome. And it's pretty cool for a few days. It's pretty cool to be able to say, yeah, I got the iPhone XX Max or whatever they call it now. And then everybody gets bored with it. Just kind of whatever at that point. Why? Because we become unsatisfied. I think it's very easy to become unsatisfied with God. Why? A couple of reasons. Maybe because God doesn't work on our time. God isn't answering our prayers as quickly as we'd like Him to. Maybe we're unsatisfied with God because sometimes He denies our prayers because He knows what's best for us and He knows that we really don't need what we're asking for. But what David here is showing us that satisfaction with God is a real possibility. He says in verse 5, he says, I have a God who keeps me satisfied and who keeps me singing. Satisfaction in a song. And this is coming from a man who's running for his life. And think about his situation for a minute. He's been forced to leave behind everything he's possessed in this world, and he's now become a beggar. He's dependent on his next meal for, on someone else's kindness. But do you find him, himself be, feeling sorry for himself? No, you don't. You find David simply satisfied with God. So are you satisfied tonight? Are you satisfied with the life that God has given you? Are you satisfied with the things that He has blessed you with? Think of how much you've been blessed. God's blessed many of us more than we could ever imagine. I read the story of a businessman who was uh, very generous, uh, generous to the Lord's work in supporting missionaries and supporting His church, and he gave thousands and thousands of dollars to the Lord's work, and then came the Great Depression in the 1930s. And his business crumbled and he was reduced to poverty. And one man asked him one day, he says, don't you wish you had some of that money that you just gave away? And his response was, oh no. That's all I really have now. Because his treasure was in heaven. He laid up his treasures where moth and dust don't corrupt, where thieves can't break through and steal. He was like David. He found his song and he found his satisfaction in God. He had God. So what if he lost everything else? And that statement is very easy to say. And I think many of us in here tonight would make the statement that it was like, I have God. It doesn't matter if I lose everything else in this world. And I want to live out this truth in my very own life. And maybe God in His infinite wisdom chooses to take away from me the things that I love so dearly. And if He does, may I be able to say that's okay? I have God and I am satisfied. Because God can take anything away from us at a moment's notice. And will you be able to say, God, it doesn't matter if you take my family away from me. It doesn't matter if you take my job away from me. It doesn't matter if you take my career choices. It doesn't matter what you take from me, God. It doesn't matter. That's okay. Because you're all I need. 
I am satisfied with you. I am satisfied in my relationship with you. That leads David to a point of remembering God's blessings. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. He says, When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. The Jews, they had, they had three different night watches. Uh, these three different night watches were sunset to 10 p.m., 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., and 2 a.m. to sunrise. All right, the three different night watches. Each lasted roughly four hours. So whenever David awakened throughout the night, he immediately remembered the Lord. He says, when I, t- when I meditate on thee in the night watches, when I, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I meditate on you. You ever find yourself not being able to sleep at night? You wake up in the middle of the night and you're like wide awake and can't go back to sleep. All right, I know this is terrible to say, but normally I read my Bible and pray because I know it can put me to sleep in the middle of the night. Right? Yeah, we, we fall, <laughs> I wake up in the morning and I find myself you know, hunched over my desk waking up like, what just happened? Like I thought I was reading my Bible. All right? And so he says, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I, I, think, of, I think of you. I, I meditate on you. I, I think of your goodness. I think of how you've blessed me in the past. It also could mean that he was up the entire night. I don't know. It works both ways. So whichever way you want to go with it is fine. But David wasn't the type to toss and turn throughout the night, fretting about things beyond his control. Me, on the other hand, I'm not that way. Like, I'm not, I'm not hardwired that way. Things can really bother me. All right? Things can just, like, ugh, get under my skin a little bit. But I can naturally be the type to worry and fret over things that are beyond my control. Uh, recently, my, my older brother, he's my only brother, he's two years older than me, he was in a pretty bad car accident. I can, I can, I can remember the scenario very clearly. I was sitting, uh, we were working on finances, me and Miss Betty on a Monday afternoon. We were working on finances. And uh, I, I, I looked down at my phone, and I, I saw my mom was calling me. And my mom's pretty good about not calling me at work because she knows the time zone. She's real particular about that. She'll wait till I'm home. And so I'm like, huh, that's kind of odd that she's calling me at work. So I stepped out of the office into my office, and my mom says, I don't know any details other than that your brother's been in an accident, and there's a helicopter en route to Lifeline. Talk about a punch in the gut. So the next hour, I'm just, I, I I left work early. Pastor had, he had stepped out. He wasn't there. I remember I made eye contact with Derek. He could tell something was wrong, so he came over to me. I kind of mumbled out what was wrong, so he prayed with me. I went home. I told Ashley what was going on, and this, this next hour seemed like days. Waiting for the next phone call, wondering what the next phone call would, would be. And thankfully, God spared his life, and now he's on the road to recovery. But I found myself fretting over that. I found myself not knowing what to do. The situation was totally out of my control, and I was just, I didn't know what to do. I can remember at my house, kneeling beside my couch and just crying out to God to just, just spare his life. But the outcome of the situation it was totally beyond my control. And the choice that had to be made was to focus on God in the situation. So David here, he decides that I'm in this bad situation. My son has, 
uh, betrayed me. Ahithophel has betrayed me. My nation has betrayed me. I only have a few followers. I, I don't know what to do. And instead of choosing to dwell on the bad, he chooses to dwell on God. He would think about how God helped him in the past. And he isn't passive in his devotion to God because in David's life, you continually see him clinging to God. And at this moment right here, as you read this text, his heart is at peace with God. And he could go to bed worshiping and meditating on God. The phrase remember God, it means to recall what he has said and done in the past and apply it to your present situation. So it's not just thinking about what God has done for you. It's putting that into practice in your life. Showing that God's been faithful before, He'll be faithful again. Psalm 42, verse 6 says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. He's saying here, God, I'm going through a difficult situation. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I'm down, like I feel like I've been knocked down and I can't get back up. And he says, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember thee from the land of Jordan. He says, my soul, it's, it's discouraged, I'm disappointed, but you've been good to me in the past. And I know you'll be good to me again. I know you'll take care of me and provide for me. Psalm 105 Verses 1-5 through five is very encouraging. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. It says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Remember. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done. His wonders and the judgments. Of his mouth. Remember of the great things that God has done. Psalm 119, verse 52, it says, I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Think about that. When you're discouraged and you have a defeated spirit, I remember thy judgments of old, and you can comfort yourself with how good God's been to you in your life. And when we say remember God, it's not saying God was great. It's not saying God was great in my past. What it is saying, he says, God is the great I am and he must be recognized in our present situations. So how does this truth apply to you when those difficult times come? You have to remember that God is on the throne and that God is in control. So that finally leads to verses 9 through 11. If I, if I were to say... There's strange verses in Psalm 63. It'd be verses 9 through 11. But you find David here rejoicing. He's rejoicing in God. Verse 9, it says, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. All right, so those people that have turned their back on me are those that seek after my soul. And he says, They shall fall by the sword. They're going to die, and there shall be a portion of the foxes. Verse 11, But the king shall rejoice in God, Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory by the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. So David here, he's using some pretty strong language here in these verses. And some commentators criticize David for, for wanting his enemies destroyed and their bodies left for the scavengers. That's what it means in verse 10 where it says, shall be a portion of the foxes. But these, just, these weren't just enemies of David. These were enemies of God and enemies of God's purposes in Israel. And David was simply asking God to take care of the situation 
And God takes care of the situation in 2 Samuel verse 18 when Absalom is killed. They're in battle and Absalom, he's riding a mule and he goes under a branch and his hair gets caught in the branch and he says he's suspended between heaven and earth and he's hanging there by his hair. Joab gets word that Absalom's there and he goes to him. He goes up to Absalom and the Bible says that he takes three darts and he thrusts them through Absalom's heart and kills him. God said he would take care of his enemies. It's important to understand that David didn't rejoice in the destruction of his enemies. It was his son that just died. He rejoiced in the God of Israel and that God was getting the glory that was due unto his name. And furthermore, he encouraged all the children of Israel to praise the name of God with him. Many of, many of the Psalms that you find uh, throughout the Bible are, are, are David's private worship. There are situations that David went through in his own life that he told, take this psalm and take it to the chief musician. And his private worship became public praise. And that's what, hey, it became public praise as he glorified God for his mercies. And it should be the very same thing for us today. David's private rejoicing would eventually become national rejoicing. So in conclusion tonight, as we let's package up right here, let's, let's, let's put some wrapping paper on it, let's put a bow on it, and let's wrap it up here. But we should each have a strong desire for God. We should each have a desire inside of us, a longing inside of us to know God more. Not only should we want to know God more, we should want to become more like Him. We should have a healthy and strong desire for God. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I don't, I don't have a desire for God, then, then I think it would be good for you to come down to the altar and do business with Him. But not only should we have a strong desire for God, we should praise Him because He's worthy of our praise. He's good. But we should also be satisfied with Him. We should be satisfied with how He's blessed us and, 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 and given us the things that He's given us. We should look back and remember how God has blessed us and how He's come through for us time and time again. And then we should also rejoice over His goodness. Each of these five elements are necessary when it comes to living for God. So if you want to improve your relationship with God, if you want to have a stronger relationship with God, put these five little points into practice in your life. Let Psalm 63 become your life psalm. You say, God, I, I want to know you. I, I desire you. I have a strong desire to know you, God. And then you praise Him. You remember Him and you be satisfied with Him and you rejoice over Him. These are simple truths. If we put them into practice in our lives, it can really change our relationship with Christ for the better.